0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Blog Talk Radio.
0: This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here.
1: Betrayal Trauma.
0: We are APSATS certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. dealing with the aftermath
1: of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and when he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years
0: we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was, was just pornography. Um, it ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out
1: a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers?
0: Well, of course you would feel traumatized by hearing all that information. And I got to tell you, Stephanie, that's a staggered disclosure. That's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period, making you feel insecure, unsure, and unsafe. So what we got to do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment. Oh, yes, that's exactly what she needs. We had asked her. I really believe that when you have experienced discovery, when you have found out about your husband's affairs, prostitutes, massage parlors, inappropriate relationships at work, whatever that is, that when you have stabilized a bit, it's important to start that disclosure period. That means that we prep him to be able to know how to do a proper disclosure so that he is honest, he's forthright. You ask all the questions that you need to via by writing it down and then giving it to his therapist. He or she makes sure all those questions are answered in that disclosure. And then you schedule about two or three hours to actually go over every event. It is difficult. It is hard. It can be traumatic. Um, But it allows you an opportunity to, in one place, hear all the details with somebody who cares about you, your therapist, who wants the best for you. Um, And, you know, the disclosure more often times than not, involves two different therapists, the, the sex addicts therapist and your therapist. And then at the end of that disclosure, you share with him, if and when at all possible, the five questions you would give him for a polygraph test so that you absolutely know that he's being honest. Now, I have had one client who did that. He went to a polygrapher. He answered the questions. It came back that he was being honest. And a month later, it came out that he had purposefully misled the polygrapher. So, yes, it can happen. But I got to tell you, in this situation, this was a man who had special training on deception. And so your average husband or wife that takes this polygraph test is not going to know how to fool a polygraph test. I mean, because the polygraph test isn't really testing the questions. It's testing your response to it. Now, this is a perfect segue into an email I got from, we'll call her Susan. Susan said, I don't want a disclosure. I don't need the gory details. I don't want to have to come up with questions. I don't want to put one more image or negative thought into my brain. And so I resist anybody who says, that this is the way to go. And, you know, here's what I believe. I'm a partner-sensitive therapist. We've been trained by APSATS. That's who actually produces this show. I mean, APSATS sponsors this show for you all as partners. And what we know to be true is as long as you as a partner are not harming anybody, or majorly hurting yourself, hey, you get to call the shots. This is about righting the wrongs, and one of those is that you get to decide what you need and what you want. So if you don't want a disclosure, even though we would advise it, that's absolutely okay. We're glad that you are identifying what you need. And maybe down the road you will want a disclosure and maybe you'll never want a disclosure. Everybody has a different saturation point. Everybody has different needs. And so even though we make these recommendations, we want you to know that, you know, it is up to you as to what you can tolerate and what you want. And um, unfortunately, I work with quite a few partners that absolutely go the opposite of you, Susie. They want every single detail. They want positions. They want times. They want places. They want thoughts. And oftentimes, as a good therapist or coach, we will be checking in with them saying, now we know you want the entire truth because you want safety. Truth. And safety creates stabilization. But ultimately, how does that question help you to feel safe? Or don't you already know enough? Why would you want to know um, what sexual positions were involved with that person? You know, you know that they were unfaithful to you and how does it help to know how you and that other person may be different? Let's talk about whether you believe that at some point in your relationship with this person you're ever going to want to have sex again so that we can talk about, you know, what is within your own boundaries and your own values and what isn't. So, Susie, again, I hope you clearly hear me saying to you that, you know, if you don't want a disclosure, we get it. Nobody's going to push or force it upon you. We may make the recommendation, but after that, it's your decision. And that it sounds like you absolutely know what you can tolerate and what you can't right now. And maybe what you can tolerate and can't forever. All right. That is a little bit about the email that I received. And I got to tell you, I was just looking at the demographics of this show. And I can't remember how many people listened the first week. I think it was about 300. But now we're up to about 5,000 listens. And I'm over 5,000 listens. So, again, I know we're getting the word out there. And I hope that you will let your groups know. Um, whether you're an Essanon or COSA or, you know, Recovery Couples Anonymous, RCA, let them know that we were a partner-sensitive radio show. I mean, we're called Betrayal Recovery Radio for a reason and APSAP, the association for, you know, partner specialists really wants you to feel safe. They want you to be able to come here and know you're going to get good information and that we have your best best interest at heart. Now, speaking of best interest, I have coming on the show Michelle Burkett, and she is a a lead hopecaster for a ministry called Hope Redefined. And Hope Redefined is a ministry that's committed to offering support to women who have been impacted by sexual betrayal in their relationships. And one of the very coolest things about this ministry is that Michelle and myself understand that sometimes the church, in wanting to help, they actually hurt. They give good advice. And then sometimes they give bad advice. You know, they want to support, but then sometimes they shut you down. They want to support and um, they want to provide resources. And then sometimes they say something silly like, they make an implication. Maybe you needed to have more sex. Maybe you needed to pay more attention to him. Maybe he wouldn't have strayed. You know, just in the same way as we have therapists in uh, our world that, that haven't been trained to be partner sensitive, and they will look at what might have been deficit- deficient to have caused the sexual addiction What we absolutely positively know is every marriage has some issues and some ways that we could all contribute and do it better. But you are not responsible for your husband's sex addiction. In some ways, he may not be either in that. This addiction can take hold And he may have a thousand times said to himself, I'm going to stop. I hate myself. I hate this betrayal. I don't want to do this to my family. I don't want to do this to my wife. Literally, I happen to know that they've said that hundreds of times because that's part of the cycle. And then the minute brain, the next thought is, Where can I go to look at new porn? Or, oh, my gosh, that's a new massage parlor. I've got to try that. And so that's why we call it an addiction. And therapists in the church, I mean, if they haven't been trained in this, they don't realize that that this addiction was so compulsive. They think it's a moral failure. And as a result, they wonder what you might have done to contribute to the problem. And Michelle Burkett has decided to be in this ministry to help partners, to support women who have been impacted by sexual betrayal in their relationships. And she's going to talk to you a little bit about her personal story. She's going to talk about what she has done to be a part of this ministry how she's gone back to get some education so that she can do this right. She studied with APSATS herself. Um, And she's going to talk to you about being with healthy people who can provide support to individually and in groups and they can hold a sacred space for you to work through this trauma and get some help. So I'm interested in hearing, you know, what experiences she's had in her own ministry and in the churches she's worked in because she literally is working in different churches to teach the council there, to teach the ministers, the pastors, the priests, how they can respond to a partner who's in pain, who wants, if nothing else, to get her churches, her um, mosque, her temple support, and her recovery. So, I'm real excited because we don't typically um, talk much about what the church can do to support partners. And yet, in our training, we learned that there was something called spiritual betrayal. And spiritual betrayal is when an advocate for the church or the religious organization ends up blaming you or supporting him in a way that makes you feel inadequate, inferior, and unsafe. And so we as APSATS trained coaches and therapists get that, and we've studied it, and we know it occurs and it's part of our advocacy to go around and whenever we can and talk to people at a larger level in organizations and help them to understand what sexual betrayal is, what sexual addiction is, and how they as an organization can help. So I am so pleased to have her on because truly this has been her mission and her passion so, with no further ado, I absolutely welcome Michelle to the show. How are you doing, Michelle?
1: I'm great, Carol. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, we're excited to have you because this is a common phenomenon in organizations. And, you know, we're, you don't know what you don't know, and you've made it your mission. Really help people to understand what they need to know. Um, Now, let me ask you you are a lead hope caster for a ministry called Hope Redefined. First of all, tell me what a lead hope caster is.
1: (laughs) Well, it's kind of a creative title to founder because. I that has been just my number one passion as I started walking in my own journey of recovery and healing. um, It was the biggest thing that was missing for me on a regular basis was hope. And so I felt like that was such an appropriate title to be the lead hope caster of a
0: ministry called hope redefined. So, so in some ways, even the title of your position comes from your own experience, does it not?
1: Absolutely, yes. I, um, yes, I have been walking in recovery for, let's see, my husband and I have been walking in recovery since 2005. And early on in recovery, um, I was really, really blessed to be able to have some very um, safe community around me. But as most of us know as partners, This doesn't just happen and then disappear after a year or so. And as I continued in the journey and he and I continued in the journey and we would have ups and downs and we'd have good seasons and we'd have slips and relapses and so on and so forth. And I'm on my own side of the, you know, the yard. I kind of talk about boundaries a lot about, you know, his stuff and my stuff and I'm on my side trying to manage my emotional responses and um, tending to my own needs and self care in order to keep, you know moving forward and it was just it was such a difficult thing to start realizing that what i had in those early years was not normal to be able to have that type of support and that type of safety was really uncommon for a lot of women well for most women and so that was where i really felt led to start leading a support group at my local church and I started that six years ago, and it was kind of crazy because I said yes to leading the group in November, and I started the group that following January, so three months later, and I was sitting in a room with nine women instantly, and it has been um, growing ever since, and it has just been such a gift to me to be able to create safe space for them and for them to be able to process through their hurt and betrayal.
0: Well, and you said that was six years ago, so that was before you went through any training, and obviously you were using your own experiences to help form the group. Did you have any other protocol or anything else you studied to help you run this this group?
1: Actually, yes. Um, I kind of came in at first and was just, uh, I was pulling from a lot of different resources that I had read myself as a partner and was trying to, uh, be able to present that to the women in the group and then I eventually I found a book by a woman named Vicki Petey and it's called When Your Husband's Addicted to Pornography and it was the first time I'd really gotten a hold of a partner's book that met me and the question I, I say this all the time when I talk about her book when I would read other material a lot of it I should say not all of it but some of it it was like it was a lot of testimonials and women's stories and it was beautiful and well done um, but it was really more a biography or an autobiography about where, what they had, you know, persevered through, and so I would close those books, and I'd finish, and I'd go, well, that was, that was you know, that, one may, that story might have been harder than mine, or that one wasn't, you know, as complicated, but I, every time I would come to the question of, well, what now? What, what do I do now? Because I understood the, you know, the impact of what the addiction looked like. I knew how it was impacting me as a person. I just didn't know how to move past all that, and so when I found Vicky's book, it is very much, it meets you in that space of what now. It really um, is more of a workbook style. Um, and she, it's like, she even uses a phrase in the book where she feels like she's, you know, she wants you to feel like you're sitting at Starbucks drinking a coffee together. And I would most certainly feel like um, that is for sure the way that her book is written. But it's very, it's an honest friend. She calls you out on your things and really pushes you into wholeness with Christ and walking with God and what that looks like to, to move into that area
0: of your healing. So. so then you're saying moving into Christ and walking that walk is part of the what now after the dust is settled and you realize what has happened in your relationship and you understand some of the conceptualizations about sex addiction and partner betrayal, it helps you to feel better about who you are and where, where you're going.
1: Yes, and I and I truly believe uh, just as I have watched this happen not only for in my own story but in. Hundreds of, hundreds of women now that I've sat with through the multiple support groups I run. When you start to get your identity in Christ figured out or your true identity, even if you're not a Christian and it's in your belief system, but when you can figure out who you are, there is a shift that happens for a woman where she can start to contribute to healing in her marriage that prior to that felt almost impossible And so I think that that's what is so beautiful about what, you know, the book offers and even, you know, what our spiritualities offer for us is being able to get us back to who we are and whose we are, and then being able to turn and do relationship with a part, with a a spouse.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because I was talking with a woman last weekend and a week and I, um, she came in she's very spiritual she's very godlike and she said that she heard god tugging on her heart that it had been over a year and a half that she had had the discovery and then of course she did the disclosure and her husband was taking regular polygraphs and had had one other bout of looking again at pornography which set her back all the way back to square one but just in the last month she had heard God saying to her, it's time that you forgive your husband and move on. And, you know, she argued with with God and said, forgive him. I never want to forgive him, you know. I That's not mm-hmm. where I'm at. I just, I can't possibly do that. And then she said that God said to her, you know, I will help you. If you will put forth the desire, I'll help you get there. And one of the things she recommended was the book you just, or he recommended was the book that you recommended. So tell our listeners oh. one more time. Well, yeah. Tell so them yes. the
1: name so, of the book and the author. Okay. So the book is, the title is very creative. We tease her all the time. It's When Your Husband is Addicted to Pornography. <laughs> That's uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. When Your Husband's Addicted to Pornography. Her name is Vicki T D, And you spell her last name. T-I-E-D-E um, okay. you can get it on Amazon you can get it in Kindle and you can also get it in hardback oftentimes I will tell women if you're a writer like if you like writing in your book get the hard copy because you're going to write in it um, but I do have some women who just prefer Kindle versions and go for it so yeah so, I, you know as, you, Caroline, as you, s- you mentioned that woman's story it's given me a thought that is something I share in group do you care if I share that for just a second
0: Oh please, because I do. I,
1: it's okay, because it's like an it's an invitation, essentially. What has happened for her, and I, I remember this. Like, and I remember just feeling like that. What you're asking of me is to forgive him. First of all, I I had, you know, I really had to wrestle through. I had some spiritual counsel that that was the default. Right immediately, I come in with my brokenness and my pain, and. There's just a a misunderstanding of what this looks like in marriage, and it's just a lack of education like you were kind of mentioning um, early on. And so I really had to come out from underneath that of that I should forgive, right, that there's an expectation that I should do something. But honestly, what it turned into was it was an invitation. It was an invitation from the Lord to do something that he's willing to do himself. And I remember having this visual of, like, there was this disgusting stinky gym bag that like hypothetically sitting in our bedroom, right? Because this, this pain and this betrayal and all of this is sitting in that bag. And for years, I'm walking in that room and I'm walking past it and I'm, I'm attempting to ignore it. It smells really bad, right? So it's, you know that you can't ignore it, but you're attempting to just act like it's become part of the fixtures, right? And when God asked me to come into this space of forgiving my husband, what that looked like was I got to pick the gym bag up and I put it on the bed and I'm standing there. And I remember thinking exactly like that woman going, I cannot do this. There is no way I'm opening that bag. I'm not doing it because it will hurt way too much. And I just remember hearing the Lord whisper, Lachelle, where am I? Where am I with you right now? And I just I had this moment where I realized that his promise is he's right there with me, never leaving or forsaking me. And so I slowly opened the bag, and I come to this realization that the reason I was so afraid of the bag was because I didn't want to do it by myself. And this gave me the opportunity to be able to see that and go, "Oh my gosh, I'm not alone." I totally thought I was going to have to do this on my own. And then we start going through the stuff in the bag. And the beautiful part about it was like I'd pick something up in this hypothetical, you know, thing. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go through this thing, right? And I'm dreading it. I just feel like the Lord just grabbed it and was like, no, not that. We're done with that. And we'd just kick it off to the side. And then I'd pick something else out of the bag. And it was like, oh, yeah, that one we're going to have to sit with for a little bit. Let's talk about that. It's called rejection. And we're going to, we're going to sit in rejection for a while, Michelle. And it was just the most powerful transformational thing for me. And it brought a new level of safety and security to me that I wasn't able to get obviously from my husband, but in and in, in life in general. So
0: Yeah, you know her again, story Yeah, hey, and I have that. a lot of clients who say, I wish I could hear God talking to me I don't hear him sometimes I think I know what he wants but sometimes I I think I feel what he wants but I'm not sure and so she heard the voice I mean she she said Uh I just knew what he was saying now I would say to anybody listening to the show that has uh, a, a relationship with Christ that it's important to go with your gut if you believe god is or jesus is tugging at your heartstrings it's important to spend some quiet time and listen and see if you can decipher whether that's a voice or a feeling a, you know a thought what might be the next direction to grow grow and go because clearly uh-huh. one of the things michelle that is so scary is that partners don't want to get duped again so they they go well, what if I'm just feeling guilty and and or what if that's the pastor who said it's time to forgive? because sometimes pastors will do that they'll they'll want to push you through something that you're not ready to go through yet. Now, uh-huh. tell me, you know you've had a lot of experience with the churches, and your goal and your drive and your mission is to support the churches in providing the resources and support that a partner needs. So how did you get to that place where you knew that, you know, churches weren't always giving that to their congregation?
1: Well, I think it was just being a church church member myself and then, of course, sitting with women repeatedly. And, you know, here's my take on this because I think that, I think that sometimes when we're in our pain, um, we give a lot of people a bad rap because they don't show up the way we expect them to show up. And I don't blame us for that because that's pain that's leading our decisions and our words and, and our and our hurt, right? We've been betrayed, and then all of a sudden it feels like the whole world's betraying us. It's not just the husband, but now all of a sudden the churches and Like some people just like overflow, right? Everyone's out to get me. And the thing that I... I just kept sitting back and thinking about what the churches was that, I mean, hear me say, I recognize that there are some churches and some individuals and people out there who still are, are trying to wrap their mind around the idea of this being betrayal or trauma. Um, And, and that's okay. I just pray that they will come to an understanding that of what this really is for a partner. But What has been the biggest thing for me is that I sit back and I try to put myself in the position of a pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor, lead pastor, whatever that looks like, um, care pastor within a church. I cannot imagine what walks through their door on a regular basis, being spiritual leaders in communities. I mean, from drug addictions to marital issues to, um, you know, sexuality, all these things, right, this mammoth of life that's coming at them. And then all of a sudden I come in as a wounded woman and think, oh, he should know how to handle my problem. And so for me, I kept going, that's just such an unrealistic expectation for us to be putting on our pastoral care. Like they have to, they, they have as much capacity, they have 24 hours in a day just like I do, right? And so their capacity has to be what is right in front of them. And so my heart and my desire is to be a resource for them is to be able to come in and start partnering with them as a church and um, loving them and learning to, you know, and being able to love their people, but also be a resource that they if, they, if necessary, they can outsource their partners to Hope Redefined as a ministry itself and support that woman in a way that she's going to get healing versus trying to just put her in front of the next person because no one really understands what's happening for her. And then on the other side of that, I think it's so powerful to be able to see just these, just pastors becoming aware of what it looks like to be sitting with a partner. I still have, you know, I, a story, another one, sorry, storyteller, but just sat with a young adults pastor, and I, I, you know, so he's he's ministering and pastoring to 20-somethings, right? And I have seen over the six years, I've seen a really huge influx of young brides. I mean, I have women who are who are registering to be in a support group for this, for pornography addiction before they even leave for honeymoon. Like, and of course it just crushes me. Cause I'm like, that's not the way that that's supposed to be, but it's the reality but, of what they're living. And so. Well, uh, I, I,
0: stating, I was just going to say, go ahead. I'm in the office and they say, should I go on my honeymoon? <laughs> you know, because they're right. dealing with this before it even gets started. So continue.
1: Exactly. Yes, no, totally. And so my thought was, I want to know, what is the church doing to love these couples? Because they're the ones that are doing premarital counseling. They're the ones who are, you know, potentially they've met in the church if they're, you know, young believers or what have you. But, you know, that's my kind of area that I've just been sitting in. So I want to go in and see what they're doing. And so I'm sitting with this young adults pastor, loved his honesty and transparency. Let me just say that. And I said, So I know that, you know, I'm no doubt that you've got this walking in your office and you've got guys who are wrestling with pornography and then you've also got this other element of married couples. And I said, how are you handling that? And he was, you know, super awesome about sharing his resources for men. And I said, that's amazing. Thank you. I'm so glad that you have resources for him. And I said, what are you doing for her? And he said, for her? And I was like, right, because, I don't know if you said I jokingly, I can be very sarcastic. I said, we do say that two become one, <laughs> right? I was like, so these two became one. And now one of them is, you know, drowning in addiction. I was like, what are you doing for her? And he said, ask me. Why? He said, it never crossed my mind. And I thought, and I said, you know what? You're not the only youth pastor or young adult pastor who would say that. Like, it's, it's okay to be able to confront that and say, I don't know what to do with her. So we have this beautiful dialogue about what it looks like to be a partner. I gave him an example of, like, some of my craziness in the early years trying to control my husband and his addiction. And I was like, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? And he's like, yeah, that's crazy. I was like, I wasn't crazy. I was being driven by fear. Like, I needed somebody to assure me, and my husband was not assuring me, and I had no community around me to do that either. So I said, so then you, you start to do what you know, which is to control your environment. And I was like, but then we get labeled as crazy people. <laughs> so, so it's just been, it's been such a good lesson and learning for me and being able to meet them where they're at, the pastor's. Um, and being able to advocate for these partners that are potentially sitting in their offices.
0: Well, yeah, and I want to say that in all fairness to the pastors, and I do believe that you were really fair too because they're so well-meaning, but women Uh historically have put their own needs on the back burner anyway. So when they're there with their husband, they may not be sharing their own pain and angst because they're so interested in him getting the help that he needs. And so it's easy at times, not always, but easy at times for somebody to say, I'm just going to handle the situation that looks like it's, it's in the worst fire situation. And, and um, what I know that we talk about at APSATS and that you talk about is women paying attention to what is it that they need and how are they able to get closer to Christ and what will the benefit be so can you talk a little bit about that yeah
1: i mean you're so spot on like i because i mentioned that even with him i said you know the complication is is that sometimes we don't even as partners recognize that we need help and i said but i guarantee you your power of influence and being a pastor if you turned to her and said i want you to get support too she would pay attention and I said, because I bought into this, and I don't even know where it came from, I'll be honest with you. But I bought into this myth or this lie that if he got better, I would get better. And so I, I was there. I was that woman. I was, okay, what men's group can we find you? How many groups can you do in a week? Is that enough? Is that too many? I don't know. Like, and, and then it was like I would go into paranoia. Are you doing your homework? What book are you reading? That, that, that. I thought I was being helpful. And essentially, it started morphing into me really controlling his recovery and um, being able to recognize that I had needs that needed to be met and that I I needed to have someone sitting around me that was good, sound counsel that would say to me, "Uh uh-uh, that's not your responsibility. And then going and waiting for me to exhale because I would have inhaled and been like, are you crazy? Who else is going to do this for him? But then being able to help me unpack that and go, oh, that's me starting to roll into places of being responsible for things that are not mine. And that's part of the problem to begin with. So
0: So does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Give us an example of what you just referenced when you said oh I can see I was about to roll into something that really wasn't mine
1: uh-huh. I mean I think that even often often I see women I think the two things that that we will pick up immediately is we will get filters on devices if they're not present already so we'll, we'll, we'll install filters we'll do all the investigation we'll figure out what's the right wine, and the other one is is I have you know, we will find support groups for him. We will find books for him. We will go to the library and pick them up for him. We will order them on Amazon for him. We will find a counselor for him. And all this, because our heart has good intentions, because ultimately we want him to get well. And if if we have a repentant husband, I need to also put that disclaimer out there. You're assuming that he's repentant and wanting support, but he's really not doing anything with it. That's where it gets to be very sticky because what starts to happen, and I'm guilty of myself, you got the beautiful stack of books sitting on the corner coffee table, right? And you, as your, as the wife are walking around going, they're collecting dust. Like he's not even touching those books. What gives? And then it starts to birth this resentment and bitterness in you. And they're like, do you even want to get well? Because we've all of a sudden taken the ownership of his addiction. And, and, And now we're bitter because we have an expectation that he was going to do something and he's not doing it. And so what is beautiful about being in community, and like I said, safe, good, solid community, is being able to sit in that space and go, okay, time out. Why are we going to the library? Why are we picking up books for him? Like, this is his his gig, right? And being able to help put things that are rightfully his back in his space and then say "Now you've got to stay in your own area. Because like I kind of mentioned in the beginning, it's like when you start working on your identity and your value and worth, you're going to be a much greater contributor to the healing in your marriage than you were if you would stay in that position of managing it all for him all
0: the time. Yes, that makes total sense. And so it's really something I tell most women, whether they have – sexual addiction in, in their backgrounds or not, I say you've got to conserve your precious energy and that means don't do your husband's work for him and they'll say very honestly you know what, I don't think he can do it as well as I can if I do it then uh-huh. I know at least the books make it to the house and I say, well, you know what part of his work is figuring out how to do the work and it may not be your work it'll be his. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing. Now, you are doing something really unusual. You're holding your first ever healing retreat in Knoxville, Tennessee in November 2018. So tell us a little bit about this retreat and um, how did it get organized? Yes, we
1: are so excited. I can't believe that you just got to tell me that I'm doing a retreat in November. So finally, <laughs> it's been such a dream that's been birthing for years. And so to know that it's all coming to fruition is just very exciting. Um, so, yeah, we're doing a um, – it's a healing retreat. So when I when we call it a healing retreat, there's a difference because I know a lot of women – have the opportunity to participate in intensives and other intensive retreats, where they're um, sitting with counselors and uh, doing lots of hard work. And, and those are so needed. And I, I, I refer out to those quite a bit. Um, but the difference between those types of retreats and what we're offering is ours is very um, Christian-focused, very God-centered. And we, it's, it is made up of an, a community of women who are impacted by this sexual betrayal. And we're going to spend time pushing into the places that are keeping us in bondage. And so we will spend time in grief. We will talk about forgiveness. We will work through um, strongholds, things that are holding us back from being completely all of who God has created us to be and being able to move forward. And then, of course, my last and most favorite section of this retreat is going to be calling forth, I call them spiritual warriors, because that's what our world needs. We need to be rising up women who are going to push back against this sin in their own in their own might, right? Whether it looks like interceding in their marriage, whether it looks like um, starting a support group in their community, whatever that looks like, however God calls it. it. It could be just being able to have the confidence to share your story so you're a support for another woman and you're a good, solid support for another woman. So um, so, yeah, so that's going to be Hope Redefined. It will be um, actually just a little bit north of Knoxville. It's going to be at Lake Norris um, for anybody who's in this area. And um, it will be a three-day um, event from a Friday to Sunday afternoon. No, It will be November 2nd through the 4th.
0: Okay, November 2nd through the 4th. And how can they uh-huh. find out, the, you know, the registration process and how to get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can
1: go to our website. It's um, hope-redefined.com. Hope-redefined. Hope-hope-hyphen. There's a line in the middle. Redefined.com, and there is a tab on there that says support, and under there, the retreat itself is called Hope Restored, and you can register there online and. I don't have it online now, but if you're interested and would like to make payments on it, you can just send me a message through the website, and I can set up payment options for people. So,
0: Well, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And for our listening audience, I've got to say that um, more often than not, if you're feeling stuck, if you feel like you're just spinning your wheels, if... Racing thoughts and ruminating thoughts just continue to interrupt your sleep and your day. Oftentimes, we do recommend intensives or retreats because they're a great way to, A, provide a major amount of support because you're with other women, and, B, because they really allow you the downtime to totally focus on yourself. And then, C, what we know about retreats and intensives is that, When you are in the midst of a retreat and you're watching a woman do her work, you also are doing the work you need to do. And so you benefit not only when you contribute, but when you observe. And it sounds like you've got some incredible topics that the women are going to be talking about. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I highly encourage you to do this retreat. Now, i got to ask you, Rochelle, obviously – Not every listener uh, to this show is Christian, or maybe they don't even believe in God, or maybe they kind of did, and this betrayal with their husband has pushed them away. They wonder, how could God do this to them, or how could God allow this to happen to them? What would you tell them?
1: I would tell them that i get it, probably what I would say. Because I will tell you that there were days where I sat there and I felt like I was bamboozled. I had been sitting in a relationship with my husband for seven years before we got married, and I had no idea that he was wrestling the way he was. And I found out 18 months into our marriage, and so I felt angry and upset, and I was mad. And I really turned away from God, for sure, just in my, in my bitterness and my anger, And I think what I would tell them is that he can take it. (laughs) I oftentimes will tell women, you know, sometimes it's really healthy to just go have a big old cuss and fit with him in the woods. That's a Tennessee thing there, by the way. I just Southernized that out for you. (laughs) But you just go out there and I know (laughs) you just go cuss it out in the woods, but you, um, it is just one of those, it's, it's a place where I think that sometimes uh, when we can't understand purpose here on earth, that's where we lose, we lose our understanding of how, how massive and intentional he is in our story. And I will tell people to the day I die, I would have never in a million years asked for this in my story. But I am so thankful that God has done what he has because there is no way I would have built the level of intimacy and desire to be with God if it hadn't been for
0: this betrayal in my story. Wow. Can you say that one more time? There Uh is no way that you – let's hear it one more time.
1: Okay, there is, and it's true, to the day I die, there is no way – I would have learned how to depend on God and lean into him for the things that I have needed during this journey if this had not been a part of our story. I needed God to show up for me in so many places that were not – I would have never depended on him. That's the bottom line. I would have never sat in my bedroom looking at that ridiculously stinky bag and being mad that the bag was even there, right? And then being able to muster up the courage to open the bag and all these things. Like there's just so much that he has given me in this that I would have never received without this addiction in our story.
0: Mm. Well, I really do appreciate your openness to share your story because my experience, Hope and Recovery, is that, when a woman shares her story, it does really normalize what's going on for us. And just in the same way, as I said, this retreat sounds wonderful because whenever you can work through grief Thank and you. forgiveness and especially the identity part, you know, one of the things that we talk to partners over and over and over about is taking a look at themselves and deciding what they need for their own self care and their own sanity and you know Lachelle, you and I both know through the Appatss training that truly when when you've been traumatized, your brain goes offline and it may take a week, a month, a year, even even three or four years to totally come back online and that's when you have to do some of the things that that you know are good for you even though you don't feel like it. and so uh-huh. self-care is really a part of that and and this whole program with Hope Redefined, it feels very much like it's an opportunity to strengthen your relationship with God, uh, to know Jesus as, as your Lord and Savior, and and to have a safe place to talk with other women about what has happened to you and, and how to take better care of yourself.
1: hmm Yes. Yes. Agreed. And, uh, Carol, I, I kind of I dropped the ball there. I forgot to mention who's actually facilitating the retreat. I, I am one of the facilitators, but the other facilitator is a licensed therapist. She's a licensed family therapist who works specifically with partners as well out of Knoxville. So if professional care is a big need or a big desire, I should say, uh, for anyone, it's, you know, but I do think that it will look different. Well, and just so, for our listening audience,
0: can you explain the difference between a licensed clinician who will be there at that retreat and you, who have a who is in the midst of um, you got your coaching degree and now you're taking mm-hmm. this ABSETs mm-hmm. training and becoming certified? Tell tell our listening audience what does a coach do?
1: Yeah. Okay. I love talking about AppSats by the way. That gets me all excited, too, um, because this has been the most – if you're on the fence about taking AppSat's training, I'm going to tell you it was worth every single dollar, every dollar to sit with Carol and Barbara and all these other amazing professionals in the community and network that has been opened up for me has been astounding. Like, after I've journeyed this, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for six years kind of as a lone ranger, I didn't even know this existed out there, but I was more of like a, I don't want to call it a hobbyist, because that's not really legit, but I just, I was doing it because I felt like that's what God asked me to do, which was lead support groups. And so moving into this as a profession with becoming a coach um, and then uh, working in the ministry itself, um, coaching, to give you the distinction, coaching is something that allows a partner to connect with I'm um, just using me as an example, that um, we connect and essentially we, we work on goals moving from today forward. And what's really beautiful about this is that therapists, a lot of therapists, I won't say everyone because a lot of them have coaching skills as well, but a lot of therapists will work with a partner, they'll work with a married couple, they'll do a lot of different things and they've got some amazing, great tools that they're offering the partner. But some things happen either, one, they kind of journey through the historical pain and they get to a point where the client thinks, okay, I don't really need therapy anymore, but they don't feel finished. They don't feel like they've hit a line that they feel satisfied or complete in their healing. And so coaches are, have the ability and the, um, to come in and kind of surround that client, but support them, walk alongside them in the, either the tools that they've come out of therapy or even things that they want to move forward with. So for example, Um, one of the things that I work a lot with clients is we we go through a thing called the wheel of healing. And we assess what is your satisfactory level in all these different areas of your healing journey. And once you start to be able to get a snapshot of what that looks like, it really helps you start to be very intentional about what work you're going to start doing for yourself. And so another element of self-care, like you mentioned before, um, but coaching is just a, it's a little bit different than, than therapy, and it's very client-driven. It's not my agenda. It's the client's agenda. So if she shows up to a call, and last week we talked about the Wheel of Healing, but this week he relapsed, and she's got to get through this, and she's not really sure what her next steps are, we're going to coach through that if that's what she wants to talk about. And so it's a really neat, different option of support and care for, for partners.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that description. And what I know to be true, because obviously I'm a life coach as well as a clinician, is we're also taking a look at your life and asking, how can we take it to the next level? So we're helping you with this immediate crisis, but we're also saying, hey, what do you want to do? And certainly not everybody that's been through this um, wants to work with other partners or family members. But it is interesting that we have a high proportion of coaches and clinicians at APSATS that have been through this. They know the trauma. They know the drama. And they want to sit with you while you deal with it and then help you to get on with your life. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's a good job, so isn't, isn't it? Oh, it's the best. It is absolutely the best. I know. And. I really appreciate your enthusiasm and your excitement for your work. I hope you'll keep us posted on other things that you're doing. And um want to thank you so much for sharing all this good information.
1: You're so welcome. Thank you, Carol, for having me on. I so appreciate
0: it. Absolutely. Keep it coming with uh, Hope Redefined. Have a great day. I hope. Thanks. You too. Okay. So, obviously, this is a woman with a lot of purpose and passion, and she just wants to bring it on and make it real. And um, if you liked what she said, I'd look into the website. It sounds like um, the retreat is not yet on that website. And just know that we're a resource for you across the board. If you're not Christian, um, if you don't have a faith, that's okay, too. Hopefully, uh, she will have given you some tips that you can take into your life and and make your life better. So I am Carol Turgensen-Sheets, a.k.a. Carol Food Coach, and we'll be back for more Betrayal Recovery Radio next time. Thanks for being part of our lives. We'll talk to you soon. For more information, go to absets.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.